Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Terrifying thing happened to me the other day. Uh, Walked into a place, a store that I'm in all the time, and the very nice young lady behind the counter said to me, you're a pastor, aren't you? (laughs) And I just felt it wash all over me, right? I felt it wash all over me, like, oh, no. (laughs) What what have I done, A, to give you this, I mean, I'm wearing a uniform of some kind, but B, I felt pressure then to not discredit Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I became immediately aware that now, because I'm in there all the time and so is she, so now I'm immediately aware that as I go in and as I do what I do, as we do business there at this particular store, she is going to understand me as a representative of you and of Jesus. And so she's going to draw conclusions about you and about Jesus by the way I do business with her, you guys. I mean, I feel that pressure when I go to my kids' games, like uh, when I go to Drew's basketball games, and obviously the officiating is terrible. (laughs) Coach Davis is just the kind of the way it goes. I mean, this... I feel that same kind of pressure when I'm stopped for speeding. I feel that same pressure as... Uh, so, sir, what do you do for a living? And, and it's happened before. Sir, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. <clears throat> I feel it. I feel it. I, I, am, I am super, super happy and proud to represent you. I do feel it sometimes like pressure, and not because of you. There's nobody, who, there's no, there's nobody in the room who has said to me, <laughs> now they probably will, they'll write it now. Don't embarrass us out there, right? No one has ever said that to me. It'll happen now. Um, but I do feel it. I do feel it. I, do, I, I want to represent you well, and you'll be glad to know that I really want to represent this Jesus well. I want people to know the truth about Jesus. And, and let, me say, let me say this. Um, it's going to be awfully judgmental, and so just forgive me, and, but stay with me to the end if you would. I don't know that churches and pastors always get it right as it has to do with communicating the core essence of this Jesus. And there have been days when I haven't. There have been days when we haven't, right? I, I, do, I do think there should be some pressure on people like me who have done the work, done the study, who have gotten all the way to the altar of ordination, have, have received this mantle, right? I, I do think it's okay. It's okay for me to feel some pressure that I would, with my life, say something about Jesus, whether or not my lips are moving. Amen? Because I have seen it done poorly, and I have seen people walk away with mistaken impressions about the church or about Jesus. It is still the case that the people who make the conscious decision to not be Christian, right, 
when they list their reasons, you're not going to be surprised by this. Still, the number one reason people choose not to be Christian is Christians. So it's possible to do this thing poorly, to do this in a way that you don't necessarily represent Christ or the church very well. In other words, as I read through this very familiar passage of Scripture this week, it, didn't, it seemed like it was a snag on the page. I had trouble reading through this passage of Scripture. I had trouble reading all the verses without my eyes being snagged on this very important question, which is, who do you say that I am? Even when your lips aren't moving, who do you say that I am? As you drive, who do you say that I am? As you do business, who do you say that I am? As you consume your entertainment, who do you say that I am? As you argue, who do you say that I am? As you make your decisions, as you budget yourself along the way, who do you say that I am? Because here's the thing, whether or not your lips are moving, you're always saying something about your God, your shape of your God. And here's the thing, show me the shape of your God and I'll show you the shape of your faith. Show me your image of Jesus and I'll show you the kind of church that you would like to be at. I have showed you these pictures before. They're awful. Some people, this is the Jesus that they want. You know, it's one of my favorites. I have a little statuette of Buddy Jesus at my house uh, as a constant reminder, right? And, and here's the thing, here's the thing. Uh, Buddy Jesus tells partial truth. And we really want that part that is the truth. That part that is the truth goes something like this. God loves Christ loves, right? This is the part that we want. Now, the part that, that we kind of struggle with is the part when that person is supposed to tell you how to be. That's the part where we struggle a little bit, right? Jesus, I want you to bless all the ways in which I'm not like you. Be my buddy. That's, that's a problematic thing. It kind of puts you on the God seat, actually. But people like Buddy Jesus. And those churches exist. I mean, it may, maybe when you hear me say so often, and, and I do want you to hear me say it often, so here it comes, ready? God's mind about you is made up, and the news is? Yes. See, if you're visiting today, we say that so often, they knew how to end that sentence. God's mind about you is made up, and the news is good. That didn't start with me. Dr. Green's been saying that for a long time around right here. Please don't misunderstand that statement. That does not mean, that does not mean <laughs> that God does not want you to make progress toward Christ-likeness. It means that whatever it is that you bring to the table that would go, belong into the category of mistakes, foibles, hang-ups, whatever it is, God still seeks to redeem it and bring it under Christ's lordship, but none of that changes God's mind about you. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. The news is good. Here, here's another image of Jesus I don't much like. <laughs> That's uh, Rambo Jesus is not helpful to us either. Uh, but there's an element of truth in it, right? There's an element of truth in it. Because 
we do believe God in Christ to be strong, do we not? We do. Here's the, here's the problem, though. If, if you have to have your Jesus look like that, it probably means that you really like power, powerful people, you really like strength. This is the, this is the way that you have remade God in your own image, and this is how you march through life defeating everyone. God be praised. So there's an element of truth. God is loving and God is powerful, right? There is an element of truth in it, and that's what makes these, these pictures and these images of Christ so compelling and so tricky for us. There's an element of truth in it, but that picture on the right, just like the one on the left, if that is the primary picture, if that is where you start, you're not getting the essence of this Jesus. You're not getting the essence of this Jesus. Because you can have a mistaken impression about Jesus. I've told this story before, but I can't not tell it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Years ago, years ago, uh, we did a musical here. I believe they have called them cantatas, right? Uh, years ago, we did one. It had to do with Christ and the crucifixion. It was Easter cantata. And we had a guy who was really good at, at learning his lines and delivering his lines. He was really good at it. And, so, and he could sing a little bit. So this musical, he played Jesus until it was time to put Jesus on the cross. And he was just too scrawny for us. We actually had a bodybuilder in the church. <laughs> This is a true story. And so we had this guy do all of the musical sorts of things and all the acting sorts of things. But when it was time to put Jesus on the cross, we said, okay, tag in and out. Now we need muscle-bound Jesus. And he looked kind of like that. And we put that guy on that cross right over there, right? And it, to this day, is like, why did we ever think that was okay? <laughs> why, why did we ever think that was okay? But we did. It happened here. It happened here. Why did we think that was Okay. I think it's because at some level we want Jesus to be muscle bound. Makes that Jesus a little bit easier to follow around. I think it's because the culture, and to the extent that we participate with the culture, we would be guilty of this too. We do, as members of this culture, have this strange, strange way of remaking God into our own image, or at least into the image of things that we like and want in a Savior. You know that's not the way it's supposed to go, right? That's supposed to flow the opposite direction. You don't get to remake God in your own image. Everybody know that? Now, you're going to try, and I am too. But you don't get to remake God in your own image. God is who God is. Now, given an opportunity, God would re like to remake you in Christ's image. This is part of what's going on when Jesus asked this enormous question, this devastating question. <laughs> and here it comes again. And if, if there are seatbelts right there near you, buckle up, because here comes the question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, we can receive this message individually, and we should, because we all play a role. Each of us plays a role. 
But this particular passage of scripture is not just aimed at individuals, it's aimed at us. And so here's another way for us to hear this question, receive it, and respond to it. Who do we, as a gathered up body of believers, who do we say that this Jesus is? Because what we are saying about Jesus matters, matters. How we are putting skin and flesh on this Jesus matters. And by the way, I don't want you to think, I don't want you to think that that's out of bounds. You are the body of Christ, the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ and you are supposed to be enjoying in your collective lungs the same spirit that Christ breathed in and out. You are the tangible, touchable Christ in the world, all of us together. And all God's people said, Amen. now if you don't yet feel that like pressure, you're not listening. Because we can do this poorly, just look around. John, are you judging other pastors and churches? A little. But also us at the same time. We can do this poorly. We need to hear this like a refrain. It's haunting refrain, day in, day out, sometimes multiple times a day, who are you saying that I am? If it was to be translated into Oki, here's what the language really is, who do y'all say that I am? Yeah, us, us as a church, who are we saying that this Jesus is? We have a, a membership class that we are moving through. As a matter of fact, Jason typically does the membership class, and then I get to do the fun part, which is the membership ceremony. We're doing a membership ceremony on September 17th. If you've not yet taken the class, then please let me know. If, you, if you're interested in being a member, we would love for you to be a member. But typically, Jason does the class. I do the ceremony. I'm doing the class, and I want him to do the ceremony on the 17th. Um, and this past week, we have three sessions. What is the Nazarene? And we talk about the history of the Church of the Nazarene and the Articles of Faith, the agreed to statement of belief. It's a really good class. It's really a lot of fun. And then we talk about what does it mean to go to OKC first. So we tell the story of Oklahoma City First Church. And this past week, it was such an honor to have Ron Wheeler and Lee Nichols in the room. Uh, because as I cycled through some of the pictures that you're going to see here, and not this one, this was too old, but these guys know some of the people, the names and the faces and the dates. And I just brought some of them to you today, and I just want you to hear how it is over the years that we have said, this is who Jesus is. There wasn't a church around in Oklahoma City. And so back in 1910, in May of 1910, there was a big tent meeting, and Uncle Bud Robinson helped us there. This is historic evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. And it went so well that they organized a church around it. And then there was a church at Reno and Chartel. And uh, this is the congregation there at Reno and Chartel, and you can't really see it, but Lee Nichols' father is a child in, in this picture. It's an incredible sort of thing. Now, this is where we moved to later on, at Sixth and Francis. And at Sixth and Francis, and the building is still there, and the little cornerstone still says, Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. It's really cool down there. This crowd started to get into some neighborhood ministry. So what are they saying about Jesus? They're saying, hey, where the church sits, where the church is located, it matters. The church needs to matter to the kids in the neighborhood, Right? Oh, it's a very good thing, very good thing. This guy was our pastor, the singing pastor, and you can kind of tell here he's on TV. Well, yeah, because he had a TV show. 
and he had a radio show. And these folks were now, at this point, known as the singing church, and they would gather people from all over the city and fill the civic center for church sing nights. So what were they saying about Jesus? They were saying, it's good to worship. It's good to be together, and it's good to worship, all right? This straight shooter thing, there's this bus, and that bus out over on the picture looks frighteningly like this bus out here that we continue to restore, and it looks like, by the way, Ed the bus will be up and running sometime in the month of September. That's way cool. Um, But this straight shooter ministry is very, very important to who we are as a church, and again, this was the church saying, this is what Jesus is like. Jesus reaches. Jesus, Jesus gathers. Jesus draws in. Who? Anybody who'll get on the bus? Everybody, this is Straight Shooters Day in March of 1944, and you can't really see it. Let me see if I can make this thing work. Can I? Oh, okay. Somewhere right in here is a very chubby Ron Wheeler <laughs> standing right behind his brother, Lawrence. Somehow, somebody talked him into coming. And a couple months later, in June of 1944, Ron was baptized. He still has the Bible, and we still celebrate the annual anniversaries of Ron Wheeler's baptism. Why do we do that? Not just because we love Ron, but because we love what it says about the church, and we love what that church says about Jesus. Make sense? So here again, you can make the case that what this church is saying, but what this church was saying about Jesus, super, super, super important. You don't have to look too far to find a church that's not super involved in its neighborhood, not super interested in being on the streets around the church. You don't have to. And listen, we're not here to decry those people. What I'm saying to you is, I think Jesus wants us on the streets gathering, casting that net, bringing folks in. What if they don't look like us? Yes, even better. What if they don't believe like us? Yeah, that's fine too. Bring them. Y'all come. What if they believe something contrary to what we believe? You'll be fine. Bring them. Bring them. Church burned. It collapsed. The roof collapsed. This is the old sanctuary. And very nearly lost a fireman when the church collapsed. They worshiped that next week on the premises. (laughs) What does this say about Jesus? Well, similar to what we have in this particular passage, it says nothing will be able to stop this people from being the tangible expression of God. Not a fire. Not destruction. They worshiped in the gymnasium. One of the very first Nazarene churches to have a gymnasium, they worshiped in there. I think what you said, Ron, was for over a year they worshiped in that gymnasium while they were rebuilding all of this. So nothing, here's what they're saying. A fire does not stop the mission of the church. The fire does not stop the reach of the Savior. This is that gymnasium where they worshiped for so long. And there, up there in the top left-hand corner is a, I believe that's Jesus up there, isn't it? <laughs> it's almost as if Jesus in that picture is constantly reminding the people in the church and in the gymnasium of this very important question. You've heard it before. Who are y'all saying that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
we're still, we're still uh, living life here in this particular passage against the backdrop of the death of John the Baptist. Please remember that this Jesus, fully human and fully God, the fully human part, you could frighten that Jesus. There's every reason to believe that this Jesus was frightened, horrified by what had happened to John the Baptist. Maybe that is what's behind this question. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what uh, somehow urges this question out of Christ's mouth. What are people saying out there? Yeah, the answers are incredible. Well, some say John the Baptist, though they, everybody would have this, at this point known that he was killed. And so what they're saying here is something incredible about Christ and death. Some are saying Elijah, you know, the guy who was whisked away by, by a fiery chariot of horses. Some say Jeremiah, because your voice and your message sounds very similar, or, or one of the prophets. In other words, Jesus, here's what the people are saying out there. They think you're a rabble rouser. They think you push. They think you push against the boundaries and the lines. Some people out there are saying, Jesus, that you're the one who's going to lead us lead us to overthrow these Roman occupiers, Caesarea, that actually had a temple there to worship Caesar, to worship Caesar. I don't know if Jesus received all of this as great news. Maybe he did. I think there's at least a chance that Jesus trembled as they said these things. And then he said, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, well, and now you, you should know this. The way this passage of scripture is, is knit together, you get the impression that Simon Peter is not just answering for Simon Peter. You get the impression that he's answering for all of the gathered up disciples. And, and to that extent, then, we understand them to be like the earliest expression of the church. So there is some sense in which you can hear this answer of Simon Peter answering for us when he says, oh, man, you're the guy. You're the one. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. There have been other pretenders. There have been other people who have, who have claimed Messiahship. There have been other people that we hoped would be the Messiah. But we believe that you, Jesus, we believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you remember Jesus' response to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for you didn't just learn this from flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven, you have stayed close enough to this campfire that you finally got warm." You finally understand. You finally understand who I am, and you seem to understand what this means. Okay, a little bit of a spoiler alert. This is the first of a two-part series, and this part is the really fun part for Simon Peter. Next week, not so much. <laughs> Simon Peter is so crucially important to us, not because we believe somehow that the Pope is directly descendant. That's fine, and there's no reason to argue about this. But it's more than that, oh, this confession of faith, that's the, the, this is the, the ground on which we will build the church. That's important too. But Simon Peter is crucially important because we are so much like Simon Peter. We have good days and we have bad days. 
We have days when we demonstrate great courage, and we have other days. <laughs> we have days when we're really smart, and then we have other days. And yet, God chose Peter. And yet, God worked in and through Peter, and you can make the case, even us non-Catholic types can make the case, we are not here without the life, the message, and the ministry of Simon Peter because God chose him. God used him. Chronically normal Simon Peter, God used him. God can make most use of him because he did stay close enough to the campfire to finally get warm and understand this Jesus to be the Messiah. Not the conquering hero that we thought he was going to be. This is not muscle-bound Jesus. This is a carpenter's son. This was a peasant. Not of unusual size or strength. Not remarkable in those aesthetic sorts of ways. Not but remarkable when you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Remarkable when you have eyes to see and ears to hear. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build this movement. I'll build my church, and death and deathliness will not prevail against it. This is not hell-like punishment sort of thing. This is a statement about death. Whatever we're doing here, with the help of Simon Peter, whatever we're doing here, inspired as it is by Christ himself, what we're doing here is, hear this, y'all, what we're doing here is stronger than death and deathliness. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And listen to this authority that is given to Simon Peter as representative of the church. And so hear this, hear this. This is the kind of authority and responsibility. Here we're going to feel that pressure again. This is the kind of authority and responsibility that is given to Peter. And by extension to us, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You are missing it if you think that's just the place you go after you die. The kingdom of heaven is, well, there's nowhere that it's not. It's wherever Christ is Lord. I will give you the keys to this kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, this has to do with interpretation. Hey, you're going to have to contextualize this gospel. Now, don't change the tune. But it's okay for some things to change. It's okay. You're going to do the hard work of interpretation and, and, and hermeneutics. You're going to do that hard work of contextualization. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Simon Peter, you are crucial. And you can do this because I have chosen you to come with me. It is a terrifying thing to be asked and to really feel the weight and the pressure of this question. Who do you say that I am? That's a scary thing. And by the way, if you've been listening, I have effectively shifted some of the pressure that I feel onto your shoulders. <laughs> Scripture, in addition to the language of body of Christ, has another way of helping us to understand with a different label who we are and how we are to be. 
a couple of places in Scripture, we are understood as a kingdom of priests. I have good news and bad news. Let me start with the bad news. You are mistaken if you think I'm the only one that's called to ministry. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. We are all called to ministry. (laughs) All of us. And so the question has to be considered. And really, next week's sermon is a way to conclude this week's sermon so this one kind of ends with this very important question because I want, I want this sermon to end with this question ringing in your ears such that you will have to consider it and wrestle with it as you make decisions as to what to do with the rest of your day. You'll have to wrestle with it as you consider what you're going to do with the rest of your week. By the way, as it has to do with the rest of your day, please come to the block party. Please come and have fun. With the rest of your week, as you go to your workaday lives, right, it, you need to wrestle with this question. As you start to make decisions as to what you're going to be when you grow up, what you're going to do with the rest of your life, the rest of your career, as you start to make decisions as to how you're going to budget yourself, not just your money, but yourself, your life, recognize that just like I feel it with the young lady at the store We're all supposed to feel it at some level. Ready? Here it comes. And after this, we go to the table to continue to wrestle with this question. Ready? Here it comes. Who do you all say that I am? Ask Christ. If you're coming to help us set that table, would you come now? Heavenly Father, such a heavy and huge and important question that you have asked each of us and all of us as we understand ourselves more and more all the time to be the gathered up people of God, the tangible expression of your heart, your nature, and your character. We do, Lord, we do feel this like pressure. We do feel it like pressure at times. And God, maybe some of that is okay. Maybe some of that is is good. Maybe some of that will curb how we talk, how we drive, how we decide, how we interact with someone waiting on our table at lunch today. Maybe some of that pressure is good, but too much of it feels like terror. In those moments of terror where we feel like there's too much pressure, God, may we be reminded of this table and how it is that in this table you're hoping to awaken us, to open our eyes to your presence so that we can see that what we do, we don't do alone. But we do resourced by your body and blood. So bless these elements, God, and with them, with them, Lord, strengthen us to be people who can answer this incredible question even when our lips aren't moving. Who do you say 
that I am? Who are you saying that I am? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left. If you are new, I'll walk you through these steps with us today so you'll kind of know what to do and how to do it. This is communion by intinction. And here's what that means. You'll stand up, you'll exit your pew to the left, you'll come forward with your hands cupped. Cupped because you're receiving a gift. You can't buy this. You can't steal it. You can't steal it, we'll just give it to you. (laughs) This piece of bread, you'll, you'll approach someone holding a plate of bread. That person will snap off a piece of bread, press it into your hands and look at you and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet. Take that bread. Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right here will be holding the cup. When you do, she will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then, church, I would invite you to find a place to pray. What am I praying about today, Pastor? Well, anything. But at least somewhere in there, please include, God, help me to answer that question well. Who do you say that I am? God, help us as a church to answer that question well. May we communicate the reality of your presence by the way that we do, by the people that we are. Now, you can pray that prayer anywhere. You can circle back around and pray that prayer at your pew, and I am quite certain that God can hear those prayers that you pray right there from your pew. If you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and someone will meet you there and anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for healing. Physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, any kind of wounds, bring to these side padded altars and we will pray for you. If you come to one of these kneelers up here, one of these mourner's benches is what they're called typically, then we won't assume anything, but we will at some point come by and touch you on the back or the shoulder or the head or the neck just to make sure that you understand that you are not alone as you pray. There is a bowl here of water meant to help you remember the moment of your baptism Some of us forget and need to be reminded that we are amongst the included, in the mission, in the family. If you need that reminder, here's where you can get it, right here. Hopefully this water jogs your memory of the moment of your baptism and your inclusion. Who is welcome at this table? Everyone. If you understand your need for grace, it just does not matter what you dragged in here with you. If you understand your need for grace, you are welcome, most welcome, and always will be at this table. If you can't come to us, Caleb and Kristen will come to you. Later on, we get to the prayer part. I will pray brief prayers of confession. Then Brittany will pray prayers of intercession. And then we're going to ask Mark Murray and your crew that are putting together a community group in Yukon and Mustang, we want to kind of commission them today as they launch into that effort. And Dr. Tashton will pray that prayer of commission for them before closing us with the Lord's Prayer. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body 
broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and he held it up before them saying, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. Now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
you see somebody here that you could come and pray with, somebody for whom you can be the tangible expression of the presence of God, would you please come? Come close. If you're a part of the Yukon Mustang community group, they are gathered here. So if you'd like to be a part of that circle of prayer, go ahead and make your way this way. Heavenly Father, we confess today. We don't always have good answers in response to the question you pose to your disciples, who do you say that I am? We haven't always had good answers. We are sure that there have been times when we have given folks the wrong impression of who you are, your heart for people, your intentionality, your presentness, your activity. I'm sure, Lord, that we have all had the capacity and that we have as a church have had the capacity to underrepresent you to our neighborhood, to our denomination. We confess it, Lord, in the hopes that you will hear that confession, that you will forgive it, and still choose us, still choose to partner with us, still collaborate with us. Help us, God, to be more and more and more sensitive to your whispering voice. Help us to be more cognizant of your presence. Help us to be more attentive and more responsive and more obedient so that, Lord, against all of the other voices and all of the opinions to the contrary, all the different kingdoms that come with their own deities, God, may we do what we do here so well that folks can, amidst the noise, still trace your presence, still hear your voice, still. So that's our prayer for all of us, but it is also our prayer as individual believers. God, would you shape us so that we can spend the rest of our Sunday and the rest of this week, month, year, the rest of our lives, Lord, putting skin and flesh in the reality of your presence movement of your kingdom. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. Knowing that we cannot do this alone, we take a moment and ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, that you might be able to live out this calling to be Jesus to the world. know that there are those among us who are sick and in need of healing. If you know someone, maybe a friend or a loved one or a co-worker who's dealing with brokenness or illness, won't you just take a moment as that person comes to your mind and pray for them? among us 
who are not feeling well, who are not doing well, God, we pray that we would be the tangible expression of your love to them, that you would be with them, that you would heal them. And now we'll take it to Dr. Tashu for a prayer of commissioning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your church, the embodiment of the Christ in the world. May our words and actions, everything that we do, bring honor to the name of Christ our Savior. We thank you for the call that your servants, Mark and Sheree, have received and are putting into practice of being a home where people can gather to worship, to study, to pray, to share, and in whatever other ways that your spirit will lead in days and weeks and months ahead. We thank you that Mark has responded to the call to ministry and along with Sheree, they have offered their home as a place where people can come together. May it be a place where others in the neighborhood in the Yukon Mustang area be a place where people can come and be blessed by what you will be doing through them. And help all of us as your people, as people of this church, to extend our arms and offer words of encouragement and prayer support for the work that is going to happen. We give you thanks. In the name of Christ our Lord, and now, with the confidence of children of God, let us conclude this time of prayer with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.